Welcome to What Happened Next, a podcast about newish books. My name is Nathan Whitlock, and I'm a writer. On this podcast, I speak to other writers about what happens when their new book is no longer new, and it's time to write another one. Before I introduce my guest, I wanted to let you know that I have a book that is not just newish, it's actually brand new. It's a novel called Lump, and it's published by the Rare Machines imprint at Dundurn Press. It's my third novel, I've read it, and it's good. If you'd rather not take my word for it, the Toronto Star has called Lump one of the must-read, hands-down best books of 2023 so far. You can find out more about Lump at nathanwhitlock.ca. My guest on this episode is Joe Ullman. Joe is an artist and writer from Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of more than a half dozen acclaimed graphic novels and collections of graphic stories. His book, This Will All End in Tears, published by Insomniac Press, won the 2007 Doug Wright Award for Best Book. Joe's most recent graphic novel is Fictional Father, published in 2022 by Drawn and Quarterly. In a starred review of Fictional Father, Publishers Weekly wrote that Ullman's funny faux meta-memoir is a complex look at an artist's evolving relationship to the past. The book won the 2022 Hamilton Literary Award for Fiction and was nominated for a Governor General's Literary Award. Joe and I talk about his creative process, specifically how that process becomes less creative and more mechanical the closer a book gets to being finished, about how he is much more mellow and zen than he was when he wrote his visceral and emotionally raw early books, and about the time he successfully argued with a former Ontario Premier over the work of fellow graphic novelist Kate Beaton. In our correspondence back and forth, setting up this this interview, you had mentioned at one point in one email that you had listened to an episode, I can't remember which one, but an episode of the podcast while drawing, while working. And I thought, oh, that's that's really nice. And it gave me a little insight into your into your process. And then I picked up a copy of Fictional Father, and the very opening scene is the son Caleb working on some on some strips while listening to a podcast interview. Is that part of your process that you have to have something, someone talking in your ears? The way I work generally is if I'm writing, I'm listening to either opera or jazz or something that I don't understand the language so that it's not a distraction from writing, but I, I like to have something. I can't work in silence. And but when I'm drawing, it's more mechanical exercise. So I'm listening to audiobooks. I'm listening to old radio plays. Uh, I'm listening to podcasts and a lot of cartoonists do that because you spend, you know, you might be drawing 14 hours a day. Like, so some people, when they're editing comics on the computer, they're watching shows in the corner. And I say some people, and I mean, I do this, like I'll watch right. crime shows in the corner of the screen while I'm cleaning up, you know, pages in Photoshop. Um, Comics is a, I mean, it's like all writing and it's, it's a lonely profession. So you're by yourself a lot. So, so it helps to have a voice in the ear or, or something happening that, you know, gives you, keeps you company while you're doing this. Manageable. Yeah. Because you're there so long, it would be, it would be incredibly monotonous to not have something to accompany that. Yeah. Right. Well, that also speaks to the idea that in terms of the process, 
you know, it's almost like a, in terms of the kind of um, overall creativity that's required of you, it starts off like a, like a pyramid. It's like a pyramid on its side. It needs, a, it needs all of your attention at the start. But, but once you get it down on the page and you're just drawing in lines, it becomes a little more mechanical. Yeah, that's that's very much my process. There's very different approaches for different cartoonists. And it's super interesting when I was um, like visiting people's studios when I was assembling that comic show um, that I did in Hamilton. It was people work so differently. And there's seat of the pants people like Chris Ware is famous for apparently he sits down and starts drawing. He has a plan in his head and he has a very big head. There's that Hitchcock said he was um, he loved the storyboarding, the writing and hated the the actual filming. So by the time he's filming, it's a mechanical exercise and he's kind of bored. Uh, I'm very much that I'm more of a writer than I am a uh, artist. I think I'm a, I'm a failure at both, but failure as, a, as an artist and a writer. I think there was a, a head of a school in Denmark that's an animation and comic school. And he approached me. I was in New York at a comics festival and he goes, I very much like your work. He goes, and I think you're a much better art writer than you are an artist. And I'm like, wow, that's painfully honest European talk. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know my limitations. So yeah, it's my strength is probably writing a little more. So he hired me to write teaching character writing, which I didn't know how to do. I admitted the first day that this is fraudulent. I can't teach you how to write characters. You have to learn that on your own. But I took their money. Well, that's the way to go. That's the way to do it. Intuitively, you must have known how to write, how to fulfill that task of because your work is so character based. You're not creating these grand, you know, story arcs and plot structures, which just sounds like a criticism. But it's actually what I really like about it is that it's messy and you dig into these people, into their into their psyches, as opposed to send them off on journeys yeah that's really like my plots are basically they end so vaguely so i'm not i'm not big on plot i'm i'm i care about people and interaction and that's that's what i'm drawn to in stories that's all the the the, the writers i'm drawn to um so i you know you do the same thing everything with me is intuitive and because i'm like like i'm uneducated i i was self-educated i you know i was married when i was 17 and was educating myself in a box factory by reading everything that I could read, you know, kind of on think, break, <laughs> like yeah, in, on your yeah, break. Yeah. 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 They, they, I was, you know, uh, a strange figure in the box factory, but um, <laughs> they called me the professor and uh, yeah, I was, I was always arguing with them about, because, you know, they would uh, all like all working guys, they would read the sun and I would go, the sun is not your friend. Like I was a big socialist. I was a big sure. communist at the time. And I was like ranting to them, this paper's your enemy. And they were like, you're crazy, man. Uh, I, I worked for Leon's and and the, the guys there said, I said, uh, this guy's paying you the, the legal least that he can pay you. It's minimum wage. And they go, he's our friend. He's on our hockey team. He gives us a ham at Christmas. And I go, he can stick his ham up his ass. I'll buy my own ham. Just pay me a proper wage, you know? I was always a raving socialist as a kid. And, you know, I mean, I still am. I'm just so disillusioned at this point. 
I'm sure that was very welcome and that you were oh. able to con convert your fellow workers. Very popular I was. Yeah. <laughs> a humor a humorless uh yeah, lecturer. Yes, that's that yeah. was my whole 20s, yeah. That's what everybody wants on the line. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Tell Fun. me where I'm wrong, new new guy. <laughs> yes. That's that was me. I have learned to I learned to shut up in my old age. I don't lecture anyone about anything anymore. <laughs> When you were working in your in your box factory days, hmm. were you already creating comics? Were you already creating what would become graphic novels or graphic stories? Yeah, I was making comics. I, I started drawing comics in high school um, and always did. I just didn't know what to do with them. Uh, I was too afraid to show them to anybody. It took me years before I could you know, bring myself to to try and show work to anybody. Um, but yeah, I always was doing it. So at that time I was making comics, yeah, for sure. And in, sen in the sense, when you say you, you didn't know what to do with them, was that mm. more like you personally didn't know what to do with them? Yeah. Or like what, what was your awareness of the sort of alternative comic scene and the Art Spiegelmans and, and all of that? Had that kind of entered your consciousness yet as a as a reality or as a possibility? Not really. I, I had given up on reading comics because I was I grew up with superhero comics and and then I'd outgrown them at in my 20s. It was of no interest to me anymore. And I'd given up on buying comics. But I went into a comic store sometime in the 80s and I saw the first issue of Eight Ball, Dan Klaus. Uh, yeah. And that was like it was like a lightning bolt. Uh I was like, that's what I, I want to do, that kind of comics. Like, um, that was inspiring as hell. And then I would just buy anything by Fantagraphics and and Drawn and Quarterly. And and uh, and, th and then it, I went back to doing, I, I think at that point I was doing comic strips in the newspaper. I did about five years in The Spectator doing a weekly strip and then five years at Exclaim doing a monthly strip. So that was my comics output because I had a full-time job always in those days. Um, but when I saw 8-Ball and uh, Optic Nerve and all of those Fantagraphics alternative anthologies and, you know, the early Chester Brown and Seth's and Julie Doucette and all these people, that made me want to make comics again. So I started doing longer form comics instead of just strips when I had time, but I had a full-time right. job. Yeah. When you were doing the strip in the spec, were you feeling some of the same frustrations that, you know, Caleb feels in in your most recent book, in Fictional Father, and this idea of like, there's this convention, and you've got to like hit the punchline, and you've got to like do it all within this many panels, but you're aware that there's this bigger art, and there's this more serious way, or were you just doing it completely like, I just, I just getting my name out there and getting my funny pictures out there. I, th I thought it was a miracle that, that I was doing it. I was so happy that, that I was seeing my work in print and, you know, I would even see people reading the paper, you know, the entertainment section and, you know, seeing in real, real life, seeing people reading their work. Um, so no, I, I, I didn't have any, my strip was really weird for, it was called Job's palace. That was the name of the apartment building that it was set in. And it was like the biblical Job, which is a fun, fun title for a comic strip. It's yeah. like, um, so, and it was very wordy. There was so many letters written in too many words. Like uh, it was, it was overly verbose because uh, that's my style. So I probably was just cramming it in because I wanted to work in a longer form. Uh, 
it was mostly left-wing commentary on local politics and you know uh sometimes federal politics sometimes just random goofy things it was whatever i felt like the, the editor wade hemsworth was great he never censored me ever he would say well i think you're gonna piss off a lot of people with this one but i'll run it if you want and so i i, I was i was really lucky to have that they they supported me wade was great he interviewed me about these little books I was doing when I was a kid I self-published these books called wag that were perfect bound mm -hmm. little little books um and he he interviewed me and he goes you know what if I'm ever in a place where I could hire you to make a comic strip I'm gonna do it and I was like oh yeah sure people say shit like that all the time mm -hmm. but then he became the editor of the entertainment section he was just a reporter then and he called me that very day that he and he hired me to make a comic strip so I I owe a lot to Wade Hemsworth, who he works at McMaster University now, and uh, he got my career started, like uh, being published. So, yeah, so I'm always grateful for that. So it was active support, because I was going to ask yeah. if part of the 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 attraction of doing it or part of the beauty of doing it was sometimes you get those situations where it's it's not quite support. It's more like benign neglect. It's mm -hmm. like, well, we don't care yeah. about the comics page. Do whatever yeah. you want. Like as long yeah. as you don't swear or put some don't don't show any nipples and don't swear. Yeah. Other than that, who cares? You know? Yeah. But it sounds was... like he actually wanted you there, wanted you there. He he cared about the work and he and he would offer like, you know, advice, editing advice. Yeah, he was great. Um, but it was low stakes. It was 50 bucks a week or whatever, you know. So um uh it so his really bosses matter. didn't matter his bosses it, weren't going to give him yeah no no there was some internal writers at the spectator that that complained about it they said i was like uh too left wing and yeah and so it was that it, it reminds me of i was having this conversation the other day with somebody about how the early days of the national post they had such an interesting culture so many book pages and the culture the pages were great was amazing at the beginning yeah, yeah. but in, in part because the people who ran it were like, yeah, do whatever you who want. Who cares? Yeah, yeah, I know. You, you hippie kids can run the art <laughs> section. You know, we'll we'll focus on the business and yeah. making people mad at brown people. That That's I'm, our real... Exactly. I know. I used to buy the post like in those days because it was an incredible... I mean, I'm still old enough to be pining for the, the, the Global Mail book section. My God, what a thing that was. What a glorious... Who was the guy? Martin... Martin Levin. Martin Levin, beautiful guy, and all uh, mentored people, and just ran a beautiful section. What a what an amazing guy! Gave a crap about comics, like in the early days when no one did. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, those were glory days, and then it thinned down to nothing. And then it's yeah, just, I remember, I remember when the Globe had a uh, a regular first book columnist, like they that would okay. just review first books, and now right. it's like. Well, having someone review any books is yeah, would be a miracle, miracle. right? Yeah. yeah. Never well, mind first books. Well, here's the thing. Like when I was like newly divorced and I was going every weekend to Montreal to visit my girlfriend, who's my wife now, um, I'm sitting on a patio in Mile End on a Saturday morning and I'm reading the Globe and Mail, eating my breakfast. And I flip to a page and I'm just see a review of my first book. And I, mm. I almost, I was like, whose life is this? I'm, you know, I just couldn't believe it. I'm a, I, at my heart, I'm a little rube farm boy. Uh, so everything that happens to me, 
I'm just like, oh, shucks, I can't even believe it. Like, uh, that's my whole, I'm, I feel so lucky to be published, uh, to have gotten so much acclaim and good reviews and just, I, I'm a lucky guy. Like, I just, I'm, I'm an uneducated buffoon who has managed to bungle his way because I think because I love comics so much and and I'm 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 passionate about it uh, and I would do anything for comics and I'm so immersed in it um, that 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 just comes out I guess I don't know but um, I just constantly feel grateful and lucky. Well, there's two things in there that I that I actually connect with what I want to talk to you about. Um, the first is that is that love of comics and mm -hmm. and again going back to the idea of process you know, your particular process is writing. And then as you get closer to the end, it gets more and more mechanical. And like, if you, if you could, you would just hire a team to come and, you know, yes. <laughs> ink those in finally. But my feeling is that I don't know how you feel about this, but it feels to me like fictional father is kind of your definitive work in the sense that so many of your preoccupations are here in terms of the characters, but also in terms of the the obsession with comics and the mm -hmm. deep immersion in the process of creating comics. And there's such an interesting conversation in the book about what is art, what is just commerce, what is just entertainment. But it's so clear that you are so immersed in this that you're not making judgments so much on any particular point of it you really are kind of in love with all forms of comic making and with the process of, I mean, I, even the cover, which nobody can see, but I'm with, with the father character drawing the smile <laughs> with the, using the ink or the, uh, the title page where it has the hand hand lettering the, the yeah. title, but making a mistake. It reminds me of that, uh, the Chuck Jones cartoon, duck amuck, where, oh, yeah. you know, the hand comes in to draw. Yeah. 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 There's a real from which just says like from the cover to the stories, to the dialogue, to everything in it. It's so deeply immersed in comics while still being a story about characters. It's like you could see a version of this story that is about truckers or butchers or mm -hmm. some other occupation. But you have you've infused it so much with this obsession and this love of comics that you have when you created it did you feel like you were making something slightly different from what you did or was it like no it's another book that i've made you you're always you're very insightful like i've listened to your other podcasts you really get to the core of things that is exactly what i think is like this is like a, like all of my things coming together it's messy unlikable characters um and just this my kind of love letter to, to the form of comics in 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 every aspect um through fictional characters um and it's and it's like i wanted to make it like you said when your your, your entry points are like the design is literally trying to draw you into like a world of comics and um and having the fake uh reproductions of the strips by the artist in the in the book and um all of that uh i was at a place where i don't know i guess i'm older and i'm i've gotten to this place of like i think i used to be a crusty complaining um 
like I was constantly kind of like, well, I want, I want this and I want that. And, 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 and my wife's a wise woman and she's always like, she's big on gratitude, like being grateful for what you got. And like, I'm a mm -hmm. lucky guy and I am embracing that. I'm just like, I'm, I, I'm doing the thing that I love. I don't make a lot of money at it. Uh, like, you know, you like, I'm like, I'm doing good. I'm published and everything, but you know, I get, I go to festivals all over the world and that's all like paid for. And I I meet all of like people that are my peers who are my frigging heroes, like, like, you know, and they're just chatting with me casually cartoonists that I, I, I love. And I've been reading since I was a kid. Uh, so, so I feel so lucky and I've, and I and and to find the thing that you love and to be doing it like I sit down every day and draw comics and I'm never like oh shit I gotta draw comics I, it's, I'm, right. I'm like I'm like I can't wait to get to that table and draw if I have if I'm not working I have all these part-time jobs because I'm poor I work at the art gallery installing and taking down art shows which I love doing it's great and I work at a bookstore so these are like dream jobs for art people you know like and for me working part-time is like a miracle i've always had a full-time gig i was a art director and designer for years so um so it felt like at the i i i just finished curating this comic co-curating this comic show in hamilton of of comics so i was like for two years making that show it was so immersed in in comics and talking to cartoonists and visiting their studios and just trying to um uh, make this to show the the best that we could do it and uh, and so i was so much in that world that i was it, it, it just made sense that that would be the next project i was i would do i there you know you find notes in your notebooks like it's like how about a book about a guy whose dad made a comic strip about a father and son but he's a terrible father that's literally the 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 whole thing of the of the book and then, that's the pitch course, that's the pitch for the that's book. the that's that's the pitch for me in my in my notes like i have books of and pages of like ideas and i i i i will never draw all these ideas that i have which is also lucky right like to not have a a shortage of of ideas mm -hmm. i it's just a matter of what do you what do you what do you commit to what do you do next which is an interesting thing right because it's like i think people um i think it's unwise to overthink and over calculate i think you have to go with your guts and your instinct and say this is the thing i want to do and not think like i'm right now i i like i i was the last book was nominated for the governor general award which was bonkers and and it lost but it was like an un unfathomable thing to me like what a fluke what a weird insane thing uh and so like you know the follow-up book you would be thinking oh i should calculate what's what would be the wise book to do next so i do a book of short stories because that's what i feel like doing which doesn't sell and probably my publisher is going to be like why did you do this but they're supportive and they're like do whatever you obviously the work will be better if it's the thing you're 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 meant to do and you're passionate about doing at that time right yeah and that's what it should be like i there's so little stakes in this like the world of comics that it doesn't matter like why calculate to try and do something that you'll make more sales at and and and, and it'll be less uh it'll be an inferior work you know yeah you do the thing it's that you, you, 
it's it's something I've spoken to on this about on this podcast before too, which is there's some freedom in that too. And it's yeah. it's it's relative. Even if you were the kind of person who was like, okay, I got this success, now I'm gonna chase a little more of it and a little more of it. Even if that succeeds, which very, very unlikely, the relative amount of success you would get from that is so small compared to yeah. winning making, the lottery or making you know good work, you know, like yeah, that's it. Like yeah. yeah, you know, it that's it. I think when I was younger and I had fantasies of like making money and you know being famous or something uh i thought more i thought when i was in my 30s and 40s i probably thought way more about my place in comics you know and i don't think about that at all i don't care like i'm there's a cartoonist in montreal pascal gerard we were talking one time and and he said he goes I don't want to do this for a living. He, he he went back to school and became a social worker. He's he's he does comics. He loves it and he does it. He goes, it's just for fun. Like it's it's you know. And he goes, who cares? It's just comics. And that made me. That was one of the. I've had many moments in my life where someone says something really incisive and insightful that changes your whole way of thinking. Pascal Gerard saying it's just comics. Who cares? And I think I included a line about that in the book. Like, mm -hmm. um, it's uh it's not that important. Like, you know, ultimately, like all of this art stuff, it's important, but it's not really important. You know, it's, um, it's also a thing where you could become so obsessed with your relative place Yeah. to like, you know, why did Seth get to illustrate that cover? Why didn't yeah. they ask me? And why yeah. did this person get to do that? Yeah. Why didn't they come to me? But then, it, you know, if you were to take three steps out of that world, you would realize the great mass of people are looking at your world and going comics. You mean like Charlie Brown, like Batman, yeah. like, like there's no, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, they it's have no thing. sense of, yeah. And then yeah. like, you know, ducks wins the Canada reads and they all get a copy yeah. of ducks and they're like, wow, it's, it's a cartoon book, you know, but, I know. but for grownups, like it's yeah. still, it's still so relative. So like getting caught up in that, it just seems so silly. It's silly and pointless. Yeah. And it's also like, like having like I I want to have like good vibes and like be happy for my friends and colleagues successes like I don't want to be sitting there like going ah, like groaning about it and being bitter about it it's so much better to be like oh it's amazing I'm so happy for them like and yeah and and to genuinely feel that not to pretend that you're feeling that is an awesome feeling you mentioned ducks and that book is uh one of the most incredible books that has come out and and I'm just like I'm so happy for its success and Kate mm -hmm. is one of the like I always saw her work and and I thought I would love for her to take on something big and serious and and I knew she was working on something and 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 it's just like it was it was astounding its success and 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 so deserved it. it's so rich it's so balanced it's so it takes on so many things and and successfully takes them on and and it's so filled with humanity and kindness even the villains have humanity like they're yep. they're granted they're granted glimpses of of their their humanity it's an incredible thing and i think the canada reads thing is is also a big thing because the only other time it was the jeff lemire book and it was voted off on the first thing and there was you know it was kind of dismissed like why is this even here 
Right. So I think Kate getting on there and winning the thing is is fantastic for comics and for the form. Yeah. I didn't follow Kate's work so closely, but yeah. I was aware of like Hark of Agrant. And I remember thinking mm -hmm. like when Ducks first sort of appeared on the horizon, I was like, I don't know. How would that work? Like yeah, her yeah. stuff is really smart, but it's very yeah. snappy. Snappy. That's it. It's very snappy. Like, can you sustain yeah. that over such a big book? And an entirely different thing. Yeah. Entirely different tone, completely yeah. different approach. Yeah. That's it. Um, like I was became aware of her work. I don't I don't know her. I've, I've only chatted with her like once or twice. But um, but I became aware of her work when I was on the jury for the Doug Wright Awards. And it was like the jury it's so weird. It was like, it was Bob Ray and Andrew <laughs> Coyne from the Golden Mail and me and someone else. I can't remember. Um, we were on the jury and, and, uh, and, uh, they were kind of dismissive of Kate's work. Cause it was like, uh, it was an early, uh, zine that she had, uh, was, was up for the pigskin Peter, the new newcomer award. And they were dismissive of it. And I, and it was one of those times when you're on a jury and, I was like 12 angry man. I'm I'm Henry Fonda and I'm like no, you don't understand. This comic this is this is this is incredibly adept comic like cartooning and and just because it's photocopied you're looking at the form you have to look at the work and I and I, and I argued I argued and they 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 relented and they were like, "Oh, maybe you're right." And 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 anyway, she she got that award that time and and I, but I was astounded right from the moment I first saw her work and she tapped into and created kind of this kind of humor that's so emulated by other cartoonists of her generation. But she really invented that snappy, sassy kind of mm -hmm. take on, you know, classical literature or history or whatever. And uh, but, yeah, I always wanted to see something more. And this that book just like gave so much. It's just you could feel what it must have been for her to create that work because it's mm -hmm. so personal it's so much of her like trauma and her like it's 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 just a it's a stunning thing and i'm just so happy for all of it your story about be serving on that that jury which that's a bonkers jury like yeah, that nuts, really yeah. makes no sense i i don't know how it happened but anyway <laughs> that's a group of people saying like who can we get who who, who yeah. do i have in my rolodex but it also speaks to something else I've spoken about uh, with I've had, you know, authors have spoken about on this podcast, which is, again, that idea of you have a moment of success. So you were nominated for the GG, you you won a, the Hamilton Award. Yeah. And so your brain could be like, well, let's let's chase that and not realizing like the next time the jury could be Bob Ray and Andrew Coyne <laughs> assessing your yeah. work going like, yeah, ah, what's this? This cranky guy from Hamilton, that's not a real book. It's it's so much dependent on juries are like that. It's like it's like Canada Council juries. Yeah. You, you, it's so dependent on who's reading the work and what their take is. So, yeah, it's always that way. I'm, I shook hands with Bob Ray and I said, well, it's an honor to meet you. I was a, a big fan of you when I was a boy. And he goes, you were a big fan. And I go, yeah, you, you switched to the liberals, man. Like, <laughs> I wanted to ask you, too. I mean, you are in this wonderful place where you're celebrating the successes of friends and of colleagues and and of other comic writers but you did say like there was a period where you were not in that place and that you were a little was there a period where you were doing that thing of like why are they getting that why aren't they there, looking at me why aren't they doing the same thing with me there 
yeah and i was like uh i was getting good reviews and getting all kinds of things like but i i don't know maybe i was unhappy i know i was unhappy i was a drinker and i had a bad divorce and i was bonkers for many years and mm -hmm. and i um uh, coming out of that like i mean that i have a whole different more positive outlook on life i think um you put out energy that you're carrying around with you so i was carrying around a lot of bad stuff that like hurt and that and it came out and like like everything i took as a rejection and like so it was very cognizant and there's so many guys mostly in comics older guys that are just bitter and hurt and 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 like feeling like oh i'm getting looked overlooked everybody's getting overlooked in comics like i mean like it's it's there's so many people making comics i think of when i started out like i've been making comics since like the 80s it was a weird thing there was not that many people and it's been a boom of 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 people uh making comics a whole new whole new uh group of people have joined like there were no women making comics very few very few it was not a welcoming place to women comics in mm -hmm. those days and and uh and it's and that's changed so that's that's a whole uh, 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 other thing like like um and you know it was very very straight and very white and it's not that anymore it's like everybody loves comics and everybody wants to get in and make them and since you know digital publishing has made it so simple to make and the zine culture like i'm so glad that zine culture is like carries on like in hamilton here my wife and and her friend donna started um symposium and this zine fair in Hamilton and they then they handed it off to these younger people and they're running it and it was a great success last year it was like amazing and I'm so happy to see that uh, but that the, the ease of with which you can you know make and produce comics has made it a much bigger uh pool you know so it's easy to get lost in that but I don't know I guess I tell people like manage your expectations like like you're never gonna get rich in comics there's so few people that are actually making a living at it right. everybody's just scraping by so it's not worth scrabbling over the scraps and it's not worth um you know sending out bad vibes all the time like uh i think that that writing and drawing is is a nascent thing in us like it's like we we're, we do that when we're kids right mm -hmm. and 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 i think it's very much linda berry's school of like everyone can do that they can make story illustrated stories because it's like it, we're we, we do that from when we're little kids we lose that ability we get self-conscious and we don't do it but if yeah. you don't if you're not self-conscious about it it's it's so interesting to see people do like comics workshops with people who don't make comics and you know can't draw and yeah, of course, like someone who can draw good will make a visually better comic. It doesn't mean that they know how to tell a story. You you might not know how to draw, but you might be able to tell a story better by choosing your mm -hmm. images or angles or whatever better. Uh, and that's effective. It doesn't matter. Like the technical stuff is 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 secondary. If if you if you have a good story to tell and you tell it in a in a good way, you tend to put books out with two different publishers. You kind of bounce back and forth between Conundrum 
and drawn in quarterly. I mean, your first book, I believe, was with Insomniac, which yeah. I don't even know if that exists anymore, but you've been bouncing back with Conundrum. Do you, is there a particular reason where you, why you go with one and then the other? Are, is it like project by project or is it just who is kind of says yes to what? Uh, generally, like um, Conundrum, as Andy Brown is runs Conundrum and he's a dear friend and we, our kids grew up together in Montreal. And so he'll, he'll always publish anything. So he's, he's just done some uh, of my, my books. Um, and, and, and well, like the book science fiction, uh, drawn a quarterly, uh, they, they didn't, they didn't, they passed on that one. So, mm -hmm. and he published it. Uh, they, uh, they always are my main publisher. So they have first rights of refusal on, on books. So, uh, but they mostly publish all of them. And he's published like a best of kind of compilation of my first two books from Insomniac. Insomniac, um, they 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 published my first book. They wanted to, it was when the term graphic novel was just becoming a thing. And and they um they 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 contacted me because of my work and exclaim and they said, Could you make us a graphic novel? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> I was working full time. Uh and I, in seven months, I wrote and and drew and and designed a whole book and got it to them. So that's remarkable. I wouldn't be able to do that now. When you look at that book now, do you do you shudder or are you like, no. no, that's that's that was a work of love and I I did it. I I look back. I was in bad um, mental straits in those days. I was very like my marriage had gone to crap after like 14 years and um so i was like in a dark place i was drinking a lot i'd become a bit of a drunk uh but a high functioning drunk who made it to work every day and made dinner for his <laughs> kids and you know did everything uh so i was i didn't feel like i was a problematic um so anybody yeah in i was really not good and of those stories like i i rarely revisit old work but when i have read those when I was doing the best of like for conundrum revisiting those those they're there's oh, it's visceral feeling like it's boiling out like it's like uh there's so much like like hurt and 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 they're really good like I I I I can say that about it because it's like a different human being like right who did them like I I mean they're clunky as hell uh, drawing wise, I drew giant heads in those days. I, I when we did the best of, I tried not to change anything, but I fixed lettering and I shrunk some heads in Photoshop because <laughs> they looked like bobbleheads. It was like I was like, what the hell were you doing? But um, I could have been drawing half drunk in those days. I I did a lot of work for newspapers in those days that I would work on it and I would see it in the morning. It was like it was like the shoemaker and the the elves had made this these drawings and who comics. made this <laughs> yeah look at that amazing yeah oh boy dark yeah. times but it may, I, I i will say like i don't believe in that that um you need to suffer for your art or anything but i do think i don't think i, I definitely don't think it's worth it to suffer for your art like to be in that place like i think it's better to make no art and be happy you know uh but, yeah but i do think I was in a I was in a really dark place and I could somehow connect deeply with emotions and people and and I was so lonely and lost and and it came out in the work like uh it's it's pretty 
it's pretty moving stuff i find i don't know but i feel like the iconic image that i have in my head when i think about your work from then and and this could be like a mandela effect where i've created it out of out of a perception but it's a it's an image of your sort of comic strip stand-in like your cartoon version of yourself but just projectile vomiting like yeah. a big stream yeah. of vomit is that is that am i misremembering or was that something oh, from what there, it... there was a lot of vomit in my work in those days yeah. uh, and I so mean, i've I... always i always connected that mentally with your work from back then it's like this is just so raw yeah. and angry and desperate and it's a it's a not that you didn't have craft not that you weren't crafting these and and clearly right. like working hard but it the was result raw. was this really direct yeah. yeah it was raw i i i i think too I think that's younger. You're passionate. Like, I mean, I think now I'm more capable. I, I'm, I'm unforgiving of my, I don't, I wouldn't let a bad drawing go. I redraw things like crazy. Like I, with my books, I don't get a feel for the characters till I'm like 25 pages in. And then I, then I nail them. And then I go back when the go back and correct. And I, and I redraw, I've redrawn first 25, 30 pages of my last three books. Like I just, I don't have the characters down. They look wonky to me. So I will redraw. And I did a PDF of comparison of the, the Seabrook book that I did. I, I redid the first 30 pages and I sent it to my art friends and I just, the cartoonist people. And I said, can you have a look at these? And they're better the, the, the on the right side, right? And they were unanimously, you're fucking nuts, man. These are exactly the same. And I'm like, no, no, they're, they're very different. They're very different. It was so much work. It's so stupid, the amount of work that goes into comics. It's so, 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 so stupid. But it was i had to do it and mm -hmm. and um so yeah yeah the old work i think when you're young you're passionate you i i, I my wife and i talk about this a lot about music like music doesn't affect you the same once in a while it does uh so, something will hit me and i'll be like i'm weeping at, at a song like uh but I was weeping at everything in those days like uh, and I never didn't have headphones on like and music meant so much and I was so passionate about it and and the comics that I was doing I was passionate about it I cared so deeply and I care deeply about it now but it's calmer everything is calmer when you're older like you've been you've experienced a lot and you're kind of like well that didn't kill me so I guess I'll survive this you know if you right. live long enough you you get to a point where you you're able to cope better with things and that's kind of a good feeling and you're calmer about the work maybe the work isn't i worry about that i always worry with every book i'm like ah, oh, they're gonna this is the one where they're gonna go this guy's full of shit and this is garbage <laughs> and you know like I, I i thought that with the last book i thought people would go this guy's so out of touch and like he's an old geezer and he has nothing to say and and then it was well received largely and 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 there was a Goodreads though that said I was I had gone too woke, and I'm like, oh my god, I've been, woke. I've been woke forever. Like I mean, like I have you I, like all my stuff has always been like socially conscious. Like it's it's something I, I care deep. I'm a I'm a I'm a socialist. I've been you know I care deeply about. Things. You told off Bob Ray to his face. I think you got your <laughs> you got your woke credentials. Yeah, that's yeah. it. If there's one thread that that comes through all of these uh, podcast episodes I do, it's always comes back to don't read Goodreads oh, reviews. Yeah. Just stay oh. away. Yeah, it's... no, I, I, I'm again. I've been very lucky with reviews. Largely, people love them. 
but there was one guy on there and it was the most undignified thing I've ever done in my life. And I've done some undignified things. So it was a Goodreads review. And the guy, he writes this long, like, screed attacking like the book, the fictional father. And uh, and he said something about, he wrongly accuses Charles Dickens of anti-Semitism. And I'm like, hey, I, I responded to it. And I was like, you oh, should not no. do this. This is the thing I used to do when I was drunk, write crazy emails and regret them later. Thank God the internet wasn't as big of a thing in, in those days. Um, but I did lots of Facebook posts that were, were regrettable. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, I um, I wrote back and I said, thanks for your review. Uh, I said, uh, but just, you know, I think it's disingenuous to say that, you know, Charles Dickens, his anti-Semitism was, you know, well-documented by scholars and, you know, and, so just wanted to point that out. And he goes, he wrote back and we got into this exchange and I said, it was a hack job review on Goodreads and I'm just trying to clarify a single point and, I, and, and you won't even grant me that. And he's like, I can't believe you're such a petty little wiener that you would do this. And then he blocked me. I was ready to respond to that. And then I was like, why are you doing this? This is oh, so, no. so undignified. Anyway, I, I would never do it again. I apologize for that person on goodreads whoever they are the the caleb character in fictional father is this it's not a stand-in for you but there is this sort of alternate joe ullman in yeah. there somewhere yeah where possibly. he kind of sets himself up in his own brain as like i am the one with the integrity i understand yeah. artistic integrity and then you see him get that one chance that opportunity and the integrity goes out the window immediately. Yeah. Like just it's he starts making exactly the wrong choices. I literally was sweating reading the book. I mean, like, <laughs> what great. are you doing, man? This is your, oh no! You can just but see like this is this is what I love to read and watch. Like like the Safdie brothers, uh, Uncut Gems. That movie I've watched it four times. It makes me physically sick. The stupid decisions he's making. I'm like Jesus Christ! You've got the money back. You don't don't bet it, please, Jesus Christ. And he does. And it's like uh, Liz Harmer's last book, uh, Strange Loops, was yeah. like that. I wrote to her and I just said, I was so sweating watching this person that you like making all these dumb decisions. And it's just nerve wracking. It's, uh, it's a great book, by the way. Liz Harmer's so good. I want to know more information about the prints that you're selling. You're doing. Oh, yeah. Of, uh, I'm just I'm just because uh, the, the McMaster University Archives contacted me to ask advice about they want to start collecting uh, Canadian indie cartoonists. OK, and so I've done that show. So they said, we want to ask your advice about how we should approach people. And so I had a meeting with them and I said, can you pay them? Because cartoonists are poor. And I right. said the, the originals art is a means of income for them. Not for me, I hardly ever sell them. Nobody wants my originals, but I'm selling a shit ton this week. I can't keep up with it. I'm, it's a miracle. Like I'm, I'm cashing in big time before I give it away. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, it's, um, so yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just, because I'm giving them, donating them to the, uh, to the archives. I just, I asked my kids, I said, do you guys want this stuff? Like you can try and sell them after I'm dead. And, and they were like, no, they, I'd like to have them in the in in there where, you know, we can go and look at them. And I said, OK, cool. Anything that's in my books is up for sale. And I'm doing oh, wow. 50 bucks a page. Yeah, so. Well, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be contacting you about okay, that. OK, sure. Yeah, I, yeah. I absolutely want one. What Happened Next is produced and edited by me. The music playing under my voice is by the great Alex Lukashevsky. 
who is letting me use it for free. You can find more of Alex's music at alukashevsky.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. There will be a new episode every Monday. Please buy more books, and not just new ones.